Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Today, we're happy to welcome Peter, founding partner and managing director of Nordic Secondary Fund, the first and only fund in the Nordics to exclusively invest in secondaries. Peter has 35 years of experience from investments to asset management, five years experience as an early stage investor and 30 plus investments in AO, Legal Desk and Sky. We had the pleasure to be together with Peter recording this episode during Tech Barbecue in Copenhagen. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving it a review and following us on LinkedIn. Want to be on top of who the best up and coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know. Peter, we're recording live from Tech Barbecue. It's not something we do very often, so we're really excited. And for people listening in, we've been trying to get you on the pod for some time, so we're really happy to, to do that. So before we deep dive into who's Peter, story of Nordic Secondary Fund and all of that, why are you at Tech Barbecue? Well, I'm basically at Tech Barbecue uh, because I'm curious by nature and, of course, also still to increase the awareness of our fund, though we are both the founders are uh, from Denmark, you could say, and we are, well known, we are pretty well known, I would say. Not many, very few are not aware of who Father <laughs> Frank and I we are. But still, also the internalization of Tech Barbecue means that there will also be a lot of people here. I just had meetings with people from Gothenburg, from people from Latvia, and, of course, the, as I said, the awareness and also the inspiration you get by here. It has, by, by far, I have attended Tech Barbecue since 2016. At that time, I was at the Opera House. Now, it's uh, the Hüxnerhallen for some years, and I think the venue here is much better. It's uh, more spacious, and, uh, and I think there's 7,000 people apparently attending, 800 investors. It is the place to be uh, <laughs> if you're fun and you want to understand what's going on in the ecosystem. And there are some cool speakers here as well. So I think for, for me, there are many reasons for being here, to be honest. And it, and it used to be very Nordic, and it still is. It is That is what they sell it as. But yeah. we're seeing more and more funds coming all the way down from Portugal. David was saying, so he flew in from, from Munich, and on the way here, he was like, I think the guy in front of me was actually on LinkedIn, and I could very clearly see that that feat was almost the same as mine. But you've also seen it over the years, like even the Baltics where I've been for like also five years now. In the beginning, it was mainly Finnish VCs going there. I counted uh, together wise guys and some of the funds I worked with. You know, over the last two years, more than 90 Polish VC funds are now close. 90 from Poland, it's 40 million people. And there are, uh, for, for many years, they come from France, from Switzerland. Yeah. The money also go where the best opportunities yeah. is. We're about to get most of the buck. And obviously, like currently, there are also many, many, many smart startups. I find that tech people in Portugal and Spain, rather to have unemployment, very skillful, smart people who want to do this. And, and, and before, like five years ago, it was many Danish companies would trying to source from, uh, you could say, Poland, Ukraine, uh, Baltics, and still. And the census is still, still a magnet for tech, but it's been more diversified. And due to the, uh, the, the picture has changed a lot during the COVID, of course, both as a fund, I raised capital from investors I haven't met physically until re- after we closed the fund. But also uh, the investing, I would assume it being impossible putting in a two or five million euro ticket without eating meeting the, the, yeah. the founders live. But those advances also come. Therefore, it is easier whether you're from Porto or you're from uh, Latvia, whatever, yeah. to, to work for a startup in Finland or in, in the Netherlands because uh, in, in that way that has changed a lot. Yeah, that's amazing. So that's Tech Barbecue. Yes. 
So as you said, most people here probably know who you are. So for our listeners down in Portugal, in Spain, in south of France, maybe they don't know who you are. Who's I'm Peter? Pretty, I'm pretty <laughs> sure very few know who I am. Who's Peter? Why should, yeah. they, why should they know who you are and what are you uh, up to these days? I, I think they should hopefully know about uh, Nordic Secondary Fund, because that is far more interesting than what, what, what Peter is, I would say. I'm 59 years old. I turned 60 in January. I'm, by nature, super impatient and super curious, you would say. And that is by far both my two uh, best points, but also the two more challenging <laughs> points, if you ask my wife. <laughs> yes, and my children, my, my close ones. Uh, no, but you say I'm, uh, I have a background in finance as management investment banking. I started working on the stock exchange when I was 23, 24, traded uh, bonds and equity list, and then and went through that pattern for many years, building, and quite early I found out I was better at selling than the average, uh, and, 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 and I liked it also a lot. So I established two companies. My first company when I was 42 called CEOs as a management. That was acquired only two years later, and that, by that I became sort of financial independent, you could say. So then I made another company in 2013, nine years ago, which I sold my share of two years later, and then I looked at myself and said, Peter, what are you doing to them now? You are 52 years old, and it's too, as, a, as, a, as you might reckon, many people are still with the pension schemes we have in Denmark and everything. We, we, we People work to like 70 plus, whatever. And I'm also far too uh, curious to uh, get too bored too easily. So I was lucky to be invited to an event in Denban, the Danish Business Angel Network, which is also uh, have been voted the most uh, active uh, network yeah. among the European Business Angels for a couple of years. We have a tremendous chairman and a co-chairman, Jesper Jarlberg, Jesper Højberg, who are great. And at the time I joined Danban in the beginning of 2016, I think there were like 60 members. Now there are 300. And very, I was invited to a pitch event. At that time, we went to a restaurant. We paid like... 50k, which is a lot for your private pocket over at a dinner and had a soda, whatever, and you listen to free pitches. And you know, I like the idea of listening to pitches, but when you found out after two minutes, I'll never invest in those guys. They don't have a clue. I suggested at that time to the, uh, I would like to facilitate if you could do 10 minutes. They had 10 minutes each and we could just get some more speed because uh, if you set off some time, you need to get uh, see a, a, a wider range of, of startups. So I facilitated that for them at the time. And, and in, so in 2016, 17, 18, I met more than 1,000 startups in Denmark, the Baltic, and a bit in Israel. So, and why did you see that many? Because it's a steep learning curve and it's a very different issue to put in your own money. Yeah. Then you build up. When you build up a company, you know exactly what are the costs, how can you do it. But if you put in your own money, whether it's twenty thousand k or half a million, it's a lot of risk. And you, you turn on, you trust a lot in people who might only have shown you a PowerPoint and a good idea or a very early NPV. And at that time, you know, um, uh, when you're an optimistic person, you tend to believe a lot in the beginning. So an experience is, an important takeout is, is that the more time you spend, the longer your list is, and you'll never be certain. But of course, the checklist just gets longer and longer. I'd actually love to point into something there, because I know your LP base is primarily angels, and you, of course, have a great network there in the background, and you understand their pains and so on. It's interesting because what we're doing with our syndicates when we're investing into VC funds, we're saying that, well, to complement their angel portfolio. We say you should really be doing some investments into VC funds as well. They should. There's, there's diversification, but there's also the access. You, you get you yeah, get to understand your exactly your and Frank's the, thinking. The first time I invested in Startup Wisecast, for instance, yeah. I said, Christopher, I'll invest 48, just for uh, not to be rude. It wouldn't make sense for me to invest yeah. 10 or 50 million years for, yeah. because then it wouldn't be in mind how, how things were. But I, I said, in order to, I would like to have an open seeking to participate. I'd like to be there when you are interviewing those 25, because they had this, you yeah. know, they, they go out to 500, they take in 25 for a weekend, and then there are 30 people like us, Chasing their commercial understanding and so forth. And then after that, you get to choose the elected level. And already after a few days, I knew that the quality of the company I saw in that space was, <laughs> technically was 
far better. Some of they had some commercial lackness. Obviously, most many of them came from former Russian economists or more close economists. But you know, it was a big surprise to me that the price on the brains of those guys were actually equivalent to the GDP level of the country or the, or the real estate prices. I mean, of course, they're smart people in the valley on Tel Aviv, but they aren't less smarter if they've studied math and economics and in Moscow or in uh, Tbilisi or uh, Turkey. They are super brainy as well. And so, so that experience was super important to me for understanding this. And therefore, I, I've brought many Danish investors to that region and many of those investors are also afterwards. Uh, because you asked me, why should people know Peter? Because people were lucky to meet Frank at a time where I was more and more often, I was offered secondaries and beginning said, Sorry, my friends, but why the fuck are they selling to of me? They just had a valuation of 50 million euros. They raised 5 million, and now they offer them, I can buy with a 40% discount. Why don't the other co-founders buy? Answer is very simple. They don't have any cash either. And, 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 and the very early investors who invested with the company was worth 1 or 2 million euros. For them to invest, even with discount, if they paid $1 for the first year, and the company is still bleeding money, they would not pay 45 euro for the second. Why should they? Because they would not be diluted. For them, it's good that the founder who has suffered maybe for five or six years, suddenly he can take out 300k or even a million. Because in Denmark, one million euro is not enough so you can sleep like this. <laughs> you, you need to. The math is very simple. If we on average do our, our work as good as any other LP and any other fund, buying at a later, more mature stage, getting a discount on average of 25%. Supposedly, if we're doing our job a little bit okay, we should do better than average. Yeah. Uh, it is only if, if we suck up and make very bad investment decisions, which I hope we don't. You know, that is basically the math. Yeah. So it's, it's not rocket science. But that's also why you have a portfolio model. Because you're that's not right, doing no. one secondary exactly, deal. Exactly. You're building and a portfolio of secondary that, You know, our model was copied by some of our early investors from Estonia. Lauri and Rando, they made a Siena secondary. I was actually flattered when I saw that they copied our, our even our slides, maybe, <laughs> and they raised these uh, 13, 15 million in a local fund, mainly in Baltic and Finland. And I'm sure there'll be many more to follow because it's too attractive an asset class. To what I see from what they are, they are saying they're investing from a fair market value. Yeah. In our opinion, we don't see anything. There's no, no. it's very yeah. not concrete. Yeah. So, so we are very old school. We say, okay, what was your last, last yeah. external money round? That was 100 million. On average, we start by looking at, at price tag of 75. Then it can be a little more, a little less. But there's always to us an illiquidity and a credit risk. And we have never done a deal without a, a discount. The lowest discount we have had have been 10%, it's been up to 50. But on average, it has been 25%. In the first fund, we did 21 deals. We had hope when we did the funds, we had three big questions. Is the deal flow big enough? Can we get discounts we are looking at? And three, could we hopefully make an exit in the first year or two so we can make a second fund? First deal flow is huge. Not only Denmark, but we also, we also get offered secondaries from France, from Spain, from Germany. So far, we have, we have left a pocket for 10% of the second fund we can actually do. So we are open. So, so the listeners know super smart people in scale-ups who are scaling with the founders, they're welcome to get to us. But as I said, we see this as an opportunity. And by being so focused, you could say that we have also understand the, the power of money. Because if the company has raised or a fund has put in early stage, two, five, seven million, it's a lot to additional bring in two million. If, if you as a CTO and you disagree with the COO or whatever and you want to clean up your cap table, you don't have the money. And many of the traditional VCs, they don't have the mandate from there to buy secondaries. That was when, when, we, when we did our first investment in, in, in Finland, for instance, in Barrio, their chairman, Peter uh, Kuppelin, who was also the chairman at Vault, he said, we welcome you so much. We have needed a tool like yours because it's a, sometimes a problem. How do we solve this by taking all even small percentages of very big companies who have raised 50 or 100 million? Even a few percentages can be two, three, five, seven million euros. And that's a lot of money. So what gets me even most excited is not only that we make good returns, hopefully we can continue doing so, but actually also the huge financial impact we have on the ecosystem for the early founders and the early risk takers. Then they are able to take 
out a little bit, and then they can, the, the good risk takers, they can actually go out identifying, helping new early backers. So therefore, I think it is super cool to do, and I'm equally happy for that impact as I am, of course, for the four exits we have done. Yeah. Because of the last thing, we were aiming to do one, we did three exits in the first yeah. in 2020, and one in 2021. So we've done four exits. Actually, I remember you did Kalana, but you also exited Kalana, right? Yes, right. We, Kalana was the first deal we invested in, in December 2019. Yeah. And then we were contacted in the Q1 last year by a Swedish family officer saying, oh, we have to buy your Kalana. We said, you're not for sale. What if you, we pay you this? And then Frank <laughs> and I looked at each other and said, okay, no. in our fund, we are aiming to do three X in six years. Rather traditional. We're aiming at hopefully do 20%. Yeah. At Klarna at that time, they were offering a surprise where we could do five and a half eggs in 16 months. So obviously we decided, yes, we take the money because also at the first time, what is super important in order to maybe do a second fund is that the one thing is that you've, your investors think it's a good idea and they like you. That is, otherwise you would never get the money. And with a new fund, a new category, and me coming with my background, I'm usually very optimistic as to my, I can raise those money in three months. It's, basically, it took like a year and a half until we had those 50 million. And I was very surprised because people didn't understand the risk. They thought it was venture. They hadn't understood. But now we have shown it, and with the Klarna, and then we did Actimo, we made a ticket in July 2020. Three days later, Bisma, sorry, Kahoot came and would buy the company. So two months later, we did two eggs. In one, and then we did Matchfield, we did an investment. Seven months later, we public two X. That is amazing, but I, like my skeptic mind is thinking, is that a byproduct of the boom market we're in? And how do you in the fund think about yes. the next two, three I don't, years? I don't know, because basically we're very conservative. That's also why we will never do a deal if there's no discount, because we still understand that from traditional ventures, before this Ukraine and COVID crisis, usually when I listen to some of the smartest people from buy founders, whoever they were, they said, okay, we have like 30 or 40 investments. One or two will pay off for everybody. And uh, I know that has probably also changed to so many of the art. You see now people are saying, okay, uh, even the large funds say, we're not expecting 300% growth. We can live with only 100 if you have a profitable business model. I think that is a very mature thing to do. So yeah. basically, we, we have done a few, I would say, satellite investments, yeah. meaning companies who are not at a stable where they are where not making money in, yeah. to a larger scale, but their potential is so huge. Your product is, uh, but, but Usually, we especially like the companies who are just A, B level yeah. because those valuations, are, are, they're not dropping 80, 90% like the series yeah. uh, DEF. So that, that's less risky and they are also more buyers for industrial sale. And there are many companies who could buy, when we invested in Bokyo in Sweden, which is, a, you could say, not very special. They're, they're doing salary system and yeah. account system for small and medium-sized companies. And where Visma owned all the other countries, they were not very pleasant. It was so obvious that they could be acquired. But I'm sure if the sellers yeah. knew that it was that close, we would never be given the opportunity. Yeah. But we could help the founder who sold very little and to clean up his cap table, yeah. we bought. And then by luck, three months later, the company was sold. But that is not something we are planning. Yeah, yeah. But I would say, of course, we will be affected. But to a, hopefully, to a, to a smaller extent, it yeah. will be if it is traditional VC. Because we are more conservative by nature. We yeah. should be so. But it's also about thinking about your we, our deployment rate is actually an interesting topic because we never save anything for follow-ups because we only buy secondary. We don't participate in the deal. So you say, if you invest in a traditional VC fund and they are maybe bragging a bit, oh, we deploy 40% investment period. But actually, I would say, why don't you deploy 70? Because I would prefer them deploying as much as possible because I still pay my 2% or whatever fee from my commitment. So if they only commit 40%, I pay 4.5% in the first four years. Why should I? That is interesting because, and I've been talking a bit about this lately, with, with the bull market, we've seen a lot of emerging managers raising small funds, deploying it very quickly. Very yeah, quickly. Yeah. The downside to that is that you don't get vintage diversification. Yes. When you think from a portfolio yes. construction perspective, it feels a bit riskier. So my question to you is, 
Secondaries is a different beast. Very different. How do you think about portfolio construction? How do you think about diversification? Diversification means a lot to us. We have some criteria saying we can only do 10% of the fund into one company, which we have done only once or twice. We can also, on the other side, maximum buy 10% of the company. We are a minority investor. And why is that? Firstly, because we don't take board seat, and we are only seeking companies who have the, a strong management team, where we are welcomed by the management and the current larger shareholders. And this is all because currently, to be honest, to a wide extent, our main competitor in real life is the right of first refusal. And then we only negotiate directly with the management because we want to make sure that we don't spend four or six weeks negotiating on an offer if the existing shareholders want to buy. So, but more likely, we want to be welcome. It's like a, a relationship. Yeah, it's yeah, difficult yeah. to dance with somebody who really don't want to dance with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And it's much easier to be and also more attractive for us to, to be on a capsule in a company where the other owners understand the value proposition we're bringing, which is, okay, we can actually help you solving up the cap table now. Your founders who have worked for seven years have very little money. He can take out half a million euros for and then at the next round, when we have a new uh, a high valuation, then we can sell a little bit more secondaries because they are not being diluted, but they are allowing the founders to instead they have 20 million deep, they might have 17.2, it's not by far the largest percentage of their water, but it increases their focus. I would say only, in my opinion, the less clever VC un uh, will don't understand that having a founder who is financially more stable, not, not well off, but stable and happy, makes a much better founder who can focus, he or she can focus on the business, on scaling. And in my opinion, I think if you work very hard, which I've been trying to do for, for many years, uh, you also need to enjoy yourself with your loved ones, your family, your friends, and otherwise, why do it? I mean, and, and by having a tool like us, it opens up that you don't need to exit your company as soon. You can actually take out half, one, two, three million euros, share it among founders and early investors and say, okay, now it takes an even bigger company. And the lack of openness, from the VC ecosystem that we've had for a long time in Europe to do secondaries is probably, you know, very connected to the problem that we've had with founders not wanting to go for the big goal, right? Um, yes, and, and I think to be honest, I will of course not mention anything, but so far we've only had one company before. It was very easy to raise money who had a UK fund, who had a, like a veto on, they could only do saying that if they would allow it, and they wouldn't allow it. So one of their early baggers was, of course, pissed at them, but we can just say, well, if they have a veto, if that was a term, uh, sometimes companies take in money. Another super important issue, which I think is underrated for many startups, and they're not aware, is actually the dilution clauses they're accepting for taking money, because usually 99%, the founders we talk, they have common shares. We have seen it a number of times where they have had maybe a B or C round, and they're given some prep, liquidation, not dilution. And then when we do the waterfall analysis, it's very, very rarely they've done it themselves. Usually they're not aware because they say, we'll build a unicorn. It doesn't matter, Peter. But you sell this, and you're right, theoretically, if you go to the stock market, everybody gets the same. But you sell a tradition, and if the company's yeah, bought now, crazy. sometimes they thought, okay, our company's worth one mil two million euros. When we did our waterfall, it was actually one million. So, and sometimes it's only five, 10%, but it cannot be up to 50% difference. Yeah. So we start by saying, okay, what is your offer? They say, oh, we would like to sell for 2 million with a 20% discount. Okay, we have common shares. First, we find the fair market price for the common shares versus the latest round. And I said, let's say just it's 10% less. And then we have that. Then we take our discount for 20%. Yeah. That is how we work. And it's, it's a big surprise to me that it has no more focus because many, in my opinion, many founders are so eager to get the capital. And that probably will increase again because yeah, people say, at, at a good time, people say, oh, we are so founder friendly. Now it's, it's back to the, it's, it is, it's much more tougher now. And there'll be met with more clauses in a downturn or in, in a post turn, we say now. So therefore, it's super important that the listeners, the founders who might be listening to your podcast are aware of what does it mean. Actually, do some calculations. If you're, of course, can, the investors can still be super good if you are met a company, you get a VC, but make sure you understand what will this mean if you sell the company tomorrow. I want to ask you an off-topic question because my understanding is that many of the institutional LPs actually don't like secondaries. Or that's 
let me rephrase that. They don't allow for their GPs to do secondaries. Right? That's right. Yes. IIF, right. EIF yes. funds like 50% of VC funds in Europe. Yeah. And, you know, if you have EIF in your, in your cap table as a, a cap table as a GP, you can't do secondaries. No. Do you think we'll see a shift in mindset from the institutionals over time in Europe? Do you think that will change? And if so, what do you expect to happen? I'm fully aware of the situation currently. To us, it's a advantage, of course. <laughs> the less competition, yes, <laughs> and I know also on their side, because it's no secret that when we started the fund, I spoke with Frank coming from a background from so Denmark and knew all the insurance and done a lot of uh, institutional, yeah. and uh, me also working as a manager. We, we knew many of the people. When we went to them saying, we're raising the 50 million euro fund, they were like, look at us, our minimum ticket is 25, 50, Forget and what is your track? <laughs> How is the traction? We have just started, we make the first yeah. investment in Klarna. What is Klarna, you know, at that time? It was so little sexy for them. And then actually, okay, if you do a second, fund, you know, basically say, our minimum take is, is 25 million euros, 10% of the fund. Yeah. So, and therefore, uh, we, of course, we would have loved if some of them would have taken the chance saying we would like to, if they understood the value for the ecosystem, because many of them in the media say, oh, we support the ecosystem, it's super fine, and then they make some political stuff. Yeah. But it's a very easy way to support, especially and increase the success of the good founders and the early, the one who can identify the good. If they are allowed to take out from an investor of 20k, they can take out 500 from our fund and deploy those in 10 or 15 new. So there's a lot, I think, will take some time, and yeah. simply because the secondary market, the deal flow is very, very attractive, and I'm still surprised that not we have not been given more competition. And that was actually a bit, if we round this interview off before we go to the quickfire round, by saying, so Peter, you're big in the Nordics, we'll know you by the now. The Baltics also, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Baltics. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's obvious to everyone that we're lacking secondary funds in all Europe, Europe, all yes, over. Yes, yes. How do you think about the future of Nordic Secondaries Fund? You picked a name that kind of has you have you backed in politics and Nordics. No, yes. Do you have interest in going more? We, 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 have, we, have, we have discussed that and we, have, but we also a very humble saying it's only in April this year we closed our fundraising for the second fund. At that time, we promised our investors we will spend three years of deploying the money. We can, we can exceed that so well one year. And having asked for 30%, shortly to 40% of that amount, we have a good thinking time to do so, <laughs> to be honest. So I would say if things doesn't change more than it is today, it will be a natural opportunity at least to investigate because we had many contacts from France, from Germany, from Spain, people saying, could we do some partnering up? But I'm pretty sure that if we do so, we would need to find strong local partners. But the reason for us doing this and also the reason for only doing close to 100 million and around 90 million fund, second fund, was that we want to make sure that we still can deploy those money and still doing sometimes tickets of only one or two million euros. Those are for the future five because we are mainly doing this because we like it and we like to support what we're doing. And if we can do that successfully, it would not necessarily be more fun to make a fund or two or 300 million. And we have our network and our we have so much insight in this region. We would need to work with somebody who has potential to who is the Frank Lune of, uh, of Austria or Peter Sandberg of Madrid, you know. Otherwise, it's too big a risk. Yeah. And, and, and I will say, I think there's so much potential in what we're doing here that I think we would easily do one or two funds more. And I also believe the same as I tell any of the start of it, be focused, do what you're good at. Don't think you just raise, whether they raise one or two million or 100 million, suddenly you think you can conquer the whole world and everything flops or whatever. Be focused and be, do what you're good and be even better at that. That is uh, so, but but I'm, I'm sure there will be competitors and I hope there will be because actually we spoke to a, a VC fund from Munich the day before yesterday. I never heard about them. They've done secondary since 2004, yeah, well, but they have it was just under the radar. Yeah, yeah. They just had a 202 million euro fund. I never <laughs> heard of it, but they were not secondary only. They did primary, secondaries, and there are some funds doing that. But I think to us as a fund, it's also super easy to say because then we've never had a discussion. If it comes to say, now we're having a, a new round, will you participate? 
Yeah. They, they don't get up to it because it would be difficult to say, okay, in that's what we do. Also, also primary, here we do not. Then the client said, yeah. well, is the valuation then fair? It's much easier saying we do secondaries only. That's we can deploy all the money, and we, that's how we do it. What other people like to do, or whether they do their calculations or their investment criteria, that's their business. We hope that they could start. We have had, and of course, we will also be have see challenges and see things going down the drain. It would be big surprise if not. But uh, we think it works for us. I hope that answers your question. It does. It does. I have one final question before David goes to the quick fire. That is, how do you think about the value add from you as a fund to the founders and the startups that you're investing in when you do secondaries? Is that now it's the transaction? It's done with. Of course. If I can help with network, I'll do it, but no, it's no, not that, something that, that, that was actually the assumption we had when we began, because we said we are actually not needed, we are not seeking for Also, we had a, in the first fund, we took 1% management fee, and I was the only one who had kind of a salary in the beginning because it was very small. We invested, raised 10 million euros, we, had, we closed it at 48 something. Well, so, but now we have actually been quite surprised that many, and we are also, what we are spending more and more time talking to the companies because. In these times we have now, even what was easy a year ago, a half ago, doing a bridge round, it's much more difficult. And they are happy. And whether Frank and I or our new Peter, we don't think we have, we've been very active, but we get a lot of uh, thanks. But they say, oh, you've been so helpful. We say, we haven't really done a lot. But I, I think many of them are not used to get a lot of support. Maybe around when they get their money, but for many, if you're VC and you're 100, I mean, how much can you actually do? You might have some of the young associates who love to do like the guys or maybe, but I'm just surprised how few of those VC who are actually super, super close. There are some who I have in huge respect, like in the Baltic, they are chain ventures and trade. I think they are super, super good and they are so smart and they have so many ways that they are supporting the companies, not just by wording, but also by action. It, it has been a surprise and, and, and what we also planning to do more, that is also what we actually have it, that we can deploy our second fund in a three to four year time so we can actually also keep in contact with the remaining 17 companies of the first fund, and now the soon 10, those 10 companies will be 30 plus in two to three years. So, so there's a lot to do, and also because it's it both is good karma, but it's also it reduces our risk. The closer we are, the faster we understand if there are problems. Because as an angel investor, yesterday I got an email from a company I invested by heart in a Danish company in Africa. They wrote a mail on the 10th, they said, we're sorry, but now if you don't get it, we will close, <laughs> more or less. There's no need for me to get such a mail, because if I should have the help at least a month True, it takes time. It's, of course, I understand if the founders believe they can do something. But I me, mean, it's like if you work in a corporate life, you can have colleagues or partners or assistants who are making mistakes, but if there are errors, but address them immediately if there's trouble. Yeah. If, then you can correct and you can help. But if they are hidden away or they are waiting at the last minute, it's a no-win situation. It's very difficult to, to change. I, I don't know if that answered the. I, it does, it does. Peter, we can go on for, I think, an hour, but let's not do that. <laughs> no problem, no, no. <laughs> no. Let's go into the quick fire round. We might have you for a second episode eventually. You're welcome. Um, the quick fire round is how we end our episodes. We ask quick answer questions, 30 to 60 seconds each. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> let's go. First question. What areas, technologies, or sectors excite you the most that other people around you maybe don't feel that excited about? Uh, that would be a boring answer because basically we are sex agnostic. Yeah. And I like, also due to the diversification thesis and the asset allocation thesis, I like very much that we do a meeting box like room. We are sitting in here now. Yeah. We do a click and grow plant, intelligent plant cards, but we also do deep tech, FinTech. So, so we yeah. basically, we just like the idea of investing in companies who are so mature. Yeah. So it's not, they have usually at the right product market fit, they have paying customers. It's 
hopefully most of the question by the not whether they live or not, but how fast would they scale yeah. and when can we exit? So your answer so, is I like the maturity level. Yes, I like the maturity. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's a weird, it's a weird one. Very, very, and not, not, not very Czech, but it's very, yeah. very conservative and very, I hope so. That's how it is. Second question. Most of our listeners are emerging managers, GPs. What are your top tips for them? Look at this region where we are. Look at the Baltics and the, and the Nordic region. There's still a ton of areas not as exposed as it should be. I just spoke, uh, I've been in Gothenburg for some years. We made, as I said, we have done two deals in Gothenburg, uh, Bokyo and Naked. We are currently looking at a number. It is uh, much under the radar of Stockholm. I would say you should look. It's not what you call emerging market, but being Nordic, I think it's it's, it's highly undervalued. And I still think, of course, there are a lot of interesting in the Baltics. Yeah. Lithuania is narrowing the gap to Estonia, and Latvia is also picking up. But, but uh, currently, I think Lithuania Lithuania will be, and if you're asking my region, I would look at Lithuania and Gothenburg. I would add to this one because, Peter, we know that you are probably one of the most efficient fundraising guys out there. And we have a lot of people listening in that are building their own funds. So I'd love to ask you what top tips when it comes to fundraising specifically would you give? Of course, it always helps if you show the LPs you're talking to that you're putting in a lot of your own capital to what you're doing and everybody invests on the same terms. You don't accept large investors getting huge discount. We, in our fund, everybody invests on the same terms. The founder, uh, the founder of the funds, the board members, everybody. And no matter whether the ticket is 130,000 euros or 1 million Danish kroner or it's a 10 or 25, everybody's treated equally. That is super nice. And also, because I'm also, I hate cost myself. We don't make any, uh, you could say, co-vehicle funds. Everybody invests in the same fund. Of course, it's, you could say, it's more uh, difficult when you have, like us, 226 investors in the fund. But of course, we'll take it's doable. The thing is that you are invest directly into the fund, whether you have a, a ticket of 100,000K yeah. or 2 million, because over the years, if you pay just, you could say, just half a percent, one percent, and the fund is only deploying 30, 40 percent, it gets a lot of extra money. The more attractive it is to put in your money, of course, it will open the opportunity of people to say, okay, some funds, they allow you to invest if you come with two or three million euros. But in our region, I know it might be, but I think, why should it be more difficult? And I said, and then to my, having been raising capital for 35 years, it's a simple matter of people, oh, it's so difficult. No, it's not. It's a matter of how well prepared are you? How structured are you? How many leads are you having? Following up is, is not writing an email. It's a physical meeting, it's a, it's a telephone, or if not possible, a Zoom. Just say, oh, I've wrote 500 emails. Sorry, my friends, fuck emails. Personal contact and keep going. Until they get a direct no, or people say, Peter, don't call me anymore, I keep going. Yeah. And it's simply a matter of persistence and keep going. There are no easy way, no shortcuts. It's at both times the hardest, but it's also super. I mean, people, when we started our first fund and we thought that we had two institutional clients who would come with 100 million kroner each, we said nearly three years ago, on the 5th of August, we had at that time, we had 35 million Danish kroner. It was less than 5 million euros. And we looked at us, okay, she will wait, she will maybe can convince a uh, next fund, no, whatever. And we said, no, now we will do like a startup, we will pivot, and uh, we welcome my friends from Danpan. Now you can join with one million ticket, and in less than a month, we could close 10 million euros. It had not been done, but many of those guys did it because they knew me and somebody knew Frank, and they knew what they got. Yeah. They knew we saw an opportunity, they would actually, and they could go in and, and follow that opportunity. And, and when we had done that in the first fund, more than 80% jump in our second fund, and with, on average, they increased the commitment with 50%. And they will only do it if they had trust, because it is a trust game. So the more con uh, you, you should not oversell, you should tell people what you're doing, why you're doing it, and what you're expecting, and how you can communicate with them. And, and, and what we could bring, of course, also, we could tell them that we actually don't have an advisory board. There are four people. 
all our LPs are basically free because many of them, they are seeking also opportunities, whether they are from former Maersk employees or they are startup. They have expertise either in China or in deep tech, and they would love to be connected. And for the startups, whether they're from Latvia or Finland or Denmark, they also like to get these connections because that is why they're here. They might know they had 20 or 20 meetings, but one of them will make it different. It only takes one. We actually wrote a, an article recently on learnings from doing our syndicates. And one of the titles was Nothing Beats Direct. No. And then I started rewriting newsletters, whatever, uh, our shit, uh, emails are better. And then scratch that. Yes. Phone call or text is even better. Yes. <laughs> right? That's what you're saying. And also, honestly, that we also send our quarter reports. And sometimes, of course, we do. We write about the companies. But my experience is that very few reads more than the executive summary or the text and email. But of course, when there will be trouble, they will probably read all about it, <laughs> which is pretty human, I think. Like, Peter, you said it yes, months yes, ago. You yes, said yes, yes. No, but, 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 but I, I think it's much more important that, that you are personal. And people like like in the startup, if, if you are also in my former life and as a management, when sometimes the market was difficult and I knew that the wealthy families I was helping, they might have had three or five different as a man who was helping them. Yeah. If I was the first to call them for ask for a meeting when the tough and tough, and then uh, and they, yeah, first I, I would stay in peace, but if they, if they reconsider, should we change, which investors often do on a yearly or a second every second year, they, okay, we have three managers helping us, they are performance like this. For three years, Peter was in top two, now he is the last, but he was the first to address us, he told the strategy, we'll give him it. You benefit so much, and it builds good karma. Of course, it's not funny when you need to take 70 meetings in two months and selling, but I think it's much better. And so, so be upfront and be, uh, you should actually, it's very simple. Give the service you will expect to, to have yourself to be addressed, to be taken serious, and not be taken for granted. I need to interject something here. It's a story, and we actually spoke to an LP of yours. Okay. And he was telling us about his investment strategy and focus, and then he said he'd also invest in your fund, and then we said, well, that's a bit off thesis, isn't it? And then we said, why did you choose to invest in Nordic Secondaries Fund? And he said, well, have you met Peter? <laughs> and we said, yeah, we, we've spoken to him a couple of times. Yeah, well, when you wake up and you have eight calls from that guy, then you're going to put your money in the end. <laughs> so I, I wired the money and I invested. Uh, and he's super happy for it, of course, because the returns have been uh, outstanding. But I think that I wanted to bring this story in because our audience are primarily GPs racing. And that is, you know, in the end, as an investor or, or GP racing, that is how you want your LPs to think that this guy is so close to me, he will follow up, he will listen, he will be there. And of course, he'll also then force the sale. <laughs> but that's also why I say, we feel so, oh, we can talk to, we, I have also been in contact in the beginning, people, oh, I used to work for a European investment fund, we can help you. You know, we tried a couple of times, nothing never come out of it. The best result is, of course, that you, you, you buy from the one who's doing it, you, you buy their story, do they seem trustable, or can they execute? Same as you put in 10K or 20K in the startup, if you don't think they can execute, why should they bother? And uh, exactly. so, But I, I appreciate that. Uh, it's funny how uh, uh, VCs tell founders, don't work with a fundraiser. It needs to be the CEO fundraising. And then when they go out fundraising, what do they do? They call up the only... Uh... All the <laughs> yeah. So that's funny, yeah. yeah. Nobody likes to be rejected. But having worked in the, doing cold calls for so many years, you know, you don't bother. You're just saying, sorry, I can try my fuck them. You know, they don't know what they're missing. The next guy I call will love. Yeah. I'm calling him, you know, she will love. Yeah. So I think it, it, that means a lot. But uh, I hope that answers your question. I'll be happy to yeah. join you at a later stage. And if we can help with introductions or anything, and if, if some of your listeners know companies who are scaling up, where founders have some secondaries, we are always open to have a Zoom call. Or I'm also attending the upcoming Tech Chill in Milan. I'm going to World Summit in Vienna in October, and obviously Schloss and so. But always uh, happy to hear if good things are on the table. That's amazing. Thank you, Peter. This, we blew everything, every timeline, every uh, thought about doing a question and so on. So, <laughs> Peter, thanks so much for entertaining us. My pleasure having you. Thanks a lot. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of The European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love our show, share it with your friends and join us in the EU VC community syndicates at theeuropeanvc.com. Want to be on top of who the best up-and-coming emerging VCs in Europe are and maybe even invest with them? Register for our newsletter at theemergingvc.substack.com and be the first to get in the know.